Hey, good morning. We are in part two of a series called Homecoming. The reason we're calling this Homecoming is because we've been tracking Jesus through the book of Luke. The book of Luke is a biography of Jesus. And in this story, uh, Jesus, about maybe like a quarter of the way into the story, he said, I have to go to Jerusalem. And for chapters and chapters, he's been on his way there. And in chapter 19, that's where we are now, we finally arrive at his home base. He's finally getting to Jerusalem. But that story doesn't take place until next week. So today we're gonna to be talking about the very last story before he enters Jerusalem, and that's chapter 19 from verse 11. Oh, but before we get into this, I want you to remember one thing. Last week, because the context matters, there was a guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. He was in a hole that he dug for himself, and then Jesus saved him out of there. Okay, so just remember that that's the context. Verse 11. While they were listening to this, they meaning Zacchaeus as well as some of the people who were judging Jesus for hanging out with the tax collector like Zacchaeus. While they were listening to this, he went on, that's Jesus told on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, according to this text, it seems that Jesus is about to address a misconception. The misconception is this that in those days, people believed that the Messiah will come into Jerusalem, the headquarters, and that he's gonna snap his fingers and poof, all the good things are gonna start happening. You know, like the religious people will be rewarded for their hard work and the people who are evil are gonna be punished and cast out of the kingdom. That's what they thought was gonna happen. But as they just witnessed Zacchaeus come from the dark to the light, Jesus is about to dispel that notion. Now, Jesus is about to go into story mode, which I love. But before we do that, I have to catch you up on some historical context. You see, years ago before Jesus was born, there was a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. He wanted to rule the world. And as he started to conquer a lot of land, he discovered that one man cannot possibly rule over the entire world because he can't keep track of what's going on on the other side of the lake. So he picked out several people to rule over certain areas of the land that would report back to him. Now the land that Jesus was born into, which is Israel, was ruled by a guy by the name of King Herod, Herod the Great. Now Herod, he loved ruling Israel because he was a builder. He loved to build new things. But the way he did it was by taxing the people of Israel, which made the people of Israel hate him. But as we all know, when people start hating him, he would just get rid of them, he would just kill them. Now as King Herod grew old, he wrote a will saying that his oldest son, that's, his name is Archelaus, that he would take over the biggest chunk of land that he's gonna leave behind. But as the way the rules go, the king of Israel didn't have the right to pass on his crown to somebody else. So Archelaus had to travel to Rome, meet with the Caesar, and get the proper appointment to become the king and then come back. Now, the people of Israel knew this. And so they started a riot, they kicked us some dust, and so Archelaus had 3,000 people killed before he left on this trip. But little did he know, just a few days after Archelaus stood before the Caesar and made his case that he should be the next king of Israel, there's a group of Jews who also travel to Rome to stand before the Caesar to protest against that idea. And oh, by the way, he eventually got the crown anyway, so it didn't really make a difference. So Archelaus, not knowing exactly who, which Jews did it, upon returning back home, he had 2,000 more Jews executed. Now this story takes place just a few years before Jesus tells this parable. So when he reads this, this is the story that comes to their mind. So let's read on. So Jesus said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. You see, just by that opening line of the story, people are already thinking about Archelaus. They're like, hey, I know that story. That just happened a few years ago. 
But in the very next verse, Jesus creates a little subplot that didn't happen with Archelaus, but in this story it does. So let's, let's read the next part. So he, that noble man, called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now, depending on who you talk to, a mina is anywhere between $50 and $100. So let's just say $75. So he had 10 sets of $75 and he gave it to each of his servants. So each servant has $75. And he says, I want you to put this money to work. Now, I want you to pay attention to just one thing right here. The master doesn't give him a goal. He doesn't say, go and double this or triple this or, or make this $75 into $1,000. He just says, work the money. It's an open-ended goal. Okay, so let's get back to the main plot now. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. So this is exactly like what happened with Archelaus. People went out to Rome to say, we don't want him to be our king because they hated him, but he was made king anyways. Okay, so this is where the story gets really interesting. Then he, that's the new king now, sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has, has earned 10 more. So basically he took about $75 and made it into about $750. That's a really good return. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small manner. Take charge of 10 cities. He's basically saying, now that I'm king, I have rule over many, many cities. I'm gonna give you 10. Well, it turns out that the master didn't give them this task because he wanted to be rich. He gave them this task because he wanted to find out who he could trust. He wanted to know which of his servants was actually aligned with him. In other words, kind of like Caesar, he can't oversee all the cities that he's now ruling over. So he wanted to know who can I delegate these cities to because I need somebody to be out there to be my hands and feet. So let's read on. The second servant, he came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Hey, look, it looks like I could trust you, that you would do exactly what I would do had I been in your shoes. And so I'm gonna give you five cities because I know you'll rule over these cities as if I was actually there ruling over those cities myself. Now, look at the third servant, because this is the part where there's a twist in the story. And I, I love twists. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. What he's saying here is, I took the money you gave me, I wrapped it in a napkin, I put it to the side because I know that you're a hard man. You're a strict person. And not only that, you also like to brag about what you've earned when you really didn't put any work into it. So right away we find out that this, this servant, he made two big mistakes. The first one is he wrapped the money in cloth. It's been known back then that people hid their money in cloth. And so when people were to rob somebody, they will look for something that's wrapped in cloth and they will just take it away. It's easy to steal. So that's the first mistake. But the second mistake is the bigger one. Apparently this servant knows nothing about the master. He says that he's a really strict guy. He's really tough. He's really hard, difficult and that he's really stingy. He likes to take credit for other people's stuff. But so far in this story, we know that, that he's the opposite of those things. He's giving away cities, right? He's very generous, he's not strict. And he's also giving credit where it's due. He's telling his servants, good job. So in the servant's response, we discover that the servant does not have a personal relationship with his master. He doesn't know who he is. But as it turns out, there's another reason why he's doing this test. 
and we're going to find out about that in a few verses. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? He says, your excuses are a little inconsistent here. If you really believe that I was a harsh man and I'd just like to take credit for everything I've done, if you were really afraid of me because of those reasons, you wouldn't have wrapped it in a napkin and put it to the side. You would have loaned it out and gotten interest on it because then you know the money is safe and then you would have gotten some more money back. See, as Jesus gets to this point in the story, people back then would be like, I see what the master's doing. You see, this master, as he went away to become king and come back, he knew that there was opposition. He knew there were people who hated him, and he knew that there were people who wanted to do everything they can to make sure he didn't get enthroned. But the problem is, this master didn't know who it was. You see, Archelaus, what he did was he killed 2,000 random Jews. But this master, he wanted to make sure he knew exactly who it was, which individuals were involved in making sure that I didn't become king. In other words, the master was appointing these tasks to his servants so he could find out who was opposing him. As the third servant was telling his story, the master realizes this servant doesn't like me because he doesn't really know me. And not only that, he didn't spend time working on his money, which means he must have been the one that went out to discredit me when I was becoming king. Yeah, this newly appointed king is a bit of a detective. So now that the king knows that he can't trust this third servant, he takes action. He says, then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. He's giving it to the person who has 10 because he knows that that servant will do exactly what he would have done with it. He's, he's a trustworthy guy. And then the servants who are standing around there, he said, they say, uh, sir, he already has 10. Then the master replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, because the person who had that one mina, he wasn't just somebody who's neutral, he was basically an enemy of the, of the master. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, what really struck to me in this story is the audience that Jesus is telling this story to. Remember, Zacchaeus is standing right there along with all these religious people as he's telling this story. Now remember Zacchaeus, he was a betrayer. He betrayed his own people and he met with Jesus and got to know Jesus. And because of that, he turned from darkness to light. So in this parable, Jesus is saying, hey, you religious people, listen up. People like Zacchaeus are the people who are going to be trusted because they finally know who God is. If I give him a task, he's gonna do it without any question. And then Jesus looks squarely in the eyes of the people who are religious and says, you were given the task to love the people around you, but instead, for the last few chapters of Luke, you've been spending your time making sure that I didn't get to my throne. So one day when you stand before your master and he's gonna ask, why didn't you love on the people that I called you to love on? Why didn't you spread the good news to the people I told you to spread the good news to? They're gonna give some bad excuse, which is their way of covering up the fact that their time was occupied making sure that Jesus didn't get to his throne. So the question we have to ask is, what does this mean for us? And I think the thing that Jesus really wants us to know is, he has given us a lot of things, minas. For example, he's given some of you wealth, some talents, some influence, some privilege. So with all those things, are we going against God's will or are we going with it? Are we aligned with what Jesus wants us to do with the things that we have? The religious people of the day, they use their influence and their privilege and their power to suppress the people that God wanted to reach out to. 
and eventually they even pushed Jesus out of the picture. Now these people, these religious people, they knew what God's mission was. They had the Old Testament. They could have just read through the book of Deuteronomy and they would have known exactly what God wanted to do. But instead of using their influence and power to love their neighbor and heal relationships and heal broken people and heal the broken systems that oppress the people on the fringes, they created systems that, that sniffed out sinners and pushed them out. They pushed out people like Zacchaeus. They spent their time deciding what technically counted as sin and what counted as being righteous. They spent their time deciding which race was superior to the others. They spent their time deciding who God was for and who God was against. In other words, they're busy majoring in the minors. And what Jesus wants us to know today is that we need to major in the majors. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. As followers of Jesus, our mission, our goal, our main thing is to love our neighbors and love God. How are we doing on that? So, family of Christ, may we keep the main thing the main thing and align our mission with Jesus's. And may the Holy Spirit continue to guide us in that mission of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.